Hello and welcome to Buildings of Tomorrow. My name is John Lester and in today's episode we are talking about fire safety in gigafactories, in factories that we produce batteries and battery cells. Uh, I'm joined today by two guests. I'm very lucky to be joined by two guests today. Uh, Emily Emanuelson, who is Global Product Manager for Fire Safety Applications at Siemens Smart Infrastructure, and Manuel Obert, who is an expert for structures, seismology and fire safety at Tivsud. Uh, Emily and Manuel, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you all. And uh, before we jump in, Manuel, could you give us a quick uh, explanation on Tivzud, uh, where you're representing today? Uh, who are you and what do you do in our industry? Of course, I will. So let's start with uh, my company, Tivzud. Um, so Tivzud is um, a trusted partner of choice for, for safety, security and sustainability solutions. So um, today, um, Tivzud is represented by more than 25,000 employees. Uh, located across over 1,000 locations worldwide. Um, and I, as a person, work in the Department of Structures and Seismology and Fire Protection. And as an example for, for this topic today, uh, I am also a project leader. I was a project leader of uh, the technical report we were, we were talking later about. Perfect. Emily, a quick question for you. Uh, in the title, I mentioned gigafactories. What does gigafactory mean? So Gigafactory is uh, a common name for large factories that nowadays are producing lithium-ion batteries. And Giga means basically big. And um, to give you an example, uh, the new factory that Northvolt is being, building in the north of Sweden equals the size of 70 soccer fields. So these are so huge seven factories. Zero soccer seven fields. zero soccer fields. So we're talking wow. about large factories, Gigafactories. Wow, that's amazing. And, you know, this, as you say, this is something that is, is quite a common term now. We're starting to see this more and more uh, in industry press, uh, in, in, in normal press as well. Why are we starting to see gigafactories so much more uh, today than we did uh, in, in the past years? So, um, especially here in Europe, we're seeing them popping up almost in every country right now. Um, it is basically to be able to, to have a production close by for the automotive industry and providing renewable, clean and green energy as well for the power generation. And um, I would say it's also a consequence of trying to meet the Paris Agreement that we see right now that Europe is investing uh, a lot into gigafactories and the possibility to have green energy close by. Right, so e-mobility, uh, those consumer electronics that you mentioned, all leverage this technology, and and that really driving factor of the localization that we see is is that requirement to to have manufacturing close to where you know where the usage is and yeah. and to push push this perfect. And maybe quickly before we dive into a little bit more depth of the fire safety applications, you mentioned before that that these factories are huge. Mm -hmm. um, what else is special about them? Um, you know that make these gigafactories a bit different from some of the more traditional industries we know. Well, I would definitely say that the most remarkable thing when you build such a huge factory like seventy soccer fields right now is that you they try to be powered by green energy. Um, so located at places where you have green energy close by, that's that's one thing. And the other part of it, uh, and now I'm primarily talking about the European ones, is that they also want to have them recycling facilities for the materials and the used batteries close to by. So like closing the ecosystem 
of the whole chain here of batteries. Um, this is maybe a bit different from what we have seen um, seen in, in other areas of the world. Um, that is that is special. The size, the clear focus on sustainability, um, the clear focus on on providing green energy and and renewable um, recycled like a recycled uh, whole ecosystem. Amazing. No, thank you for that, because I think it's, as you say, that's something that's relatively unique when we look back into the past rather than mm -hmm. this sort of global supply chain approach. They're, they're changing this you know, cyclical approach into a local supply chain, which is yeah. a big shift, especially for this kind of industry when we talk about mobility and things like yeah, that. Yeah, and I think, yeah, for example, there are also the, it's driven all by the automotive industry, and they are also committing themselves then to have green policies. So if you buy a car in a couple of years, the consumer might want to know that the whole vehicle is certified green and that every part of it was recyclable. So it's a, it's a shift here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's dive into the process itself a little bit. Um, Manuel, how or what is the process that is used to create these, these battery cells and, and which parts of it kind of highlight the or deliver the highest levels of risk from a fire safety perspective? Yeah, well, um, a lithium ion battery or shortly lift cell uh, can be produced in three different variants to start with some basics. Um, there are cylindrical, prismatic or pulse cells, but independent of the type of the cell or um, of the production process, this uh, production process is divided in three high-level process steps. So first there is the growth manufacturing, afterwards it's going on with the cell assembly and at the end there is the cell finishing. And um, from a safety-oriented point of view, um, the three high-level process steps can be divided into two hazard zones. So the first one is um, all the process steps during the growth manufacturing and cell assembly. And this steps and process steps, there are no electrochemical hazards active. Uh, the hazards only exist due to process steps itself or the intrinsic material properties. The second hazard zone, it's the most important one, it's the cell finishing. Um, all the process steps during the cell finishing. So as soon as the cell and the battery cell is filled with electrolyte, a potential of, ele of electrochemical hazard um, is given. And, and therefore, the cell finishing is allocated to the highest risk potential during the whole production process. Yeah, perfect. Let's take the chance to dive in a little bit deeper then in this cell finishing process. As you mentioned, this is the, the, the part of the process which is the highest risk. Uh, within that high-level process, what are some of the steps that, uh, that really deliver this high risk from a fire safety perspective? So if in this self-finishing process, the high-level process step, let's say, there are two key processes that represent the highest risks. It's the first is the formation and the second one is the aging. Um, let's start with the formation first and to explain a bit more about the process step. Um, during the battery formation, um, this is the process where the initial charge and discharge of a battery cell is occurring. So let's say it's kind of when the cell comes to life. Mm -hmm. uh, and this can take several days up to one or two weeks. Um, when you're talking about, about the hazards within this formation process step, um, with the start of the, of the first charging cycle, 
So the production errors from previous process steps can have potentially very dangerous consequences. Um, and as several cells are charged and discharged at the same time, um, there is also increased risk of fire due to the, the large quantity of cells. So that's again, considering all the production process steps, the formation process is the one with the highest risk potential. As I said before, it's the, the first time the cell is charged and discharged and checked for the first time if there is a current or not a current um, active. So that is um, related to a very high risk and electrochemical hazard is available. Um, in addition to this, the arrangement of the cells, they are like stored during the formation process in formation tower or in racks in close proximity that also contributes to, uh, to this risk classification. Um, the second um, process step that is allocated to a high risk potential is the aging process. And this process presents the, the final or represents the final step in the cell production and uh, is used for, for quality assurance. And again, also during this process, uh, a huge number of cells, we are talking about 10,000, 100,000 of cells, are stored for a longer time. This could be up to three or four weeks uh, in a high bay storage area. And uh, within this process step, the cells undergo different phases, which are separated by temperature. So the cells undergo high temperature aging and normal temperature aging. Um, now we're coming to the hazards during this uh, aging process. Um, during this process, there is no real-time voltage and impedance measurement uh, carried out. So a so-called thermal runaway might be difficult to detect. Uh, and obviously, cells with a previous damage may subsequently become conspicuous during the formation process. But there is still a low probability that a cell which has survived the formation, formation process before will become conspicuous during the aging process step. And however, due to the very large quantity of cells, which I said before could be 100,000 and more, uh, in the aging process, it still exists a considerable high fire risk in, in, in this step. So <laughs> there is also appropriate actions needed to be taken. Okay. So within this, this self-finishing process, you described then um, two specific steps. And thank you for that, that deep dive, because I think it's an important step of this conversation. Uh, there's the, the battery formation, and I, I like your description. This is when the battery first comes to life. Uh, it's the first time that battery is charged and discharged. Uh, higher space of risk uh, because this is really the first time that any manufacturing issues could come up. Um, and then you had the aging process where uh, after a cell has gone through this formation process, it's then stored over a certain amount of time. And, and in both these stages, like you described, we have a lot of cells in close proximity. So if we have a challenge with one, we, we risk that issue moving forward. Uh, whatever it might be. Uh, you mentioned a phrase there, thermal runaway. Uh, what does thermal runaway mean? Um, thermal runaway is a very common expression uh, in this kind of field, barrier cell production. Um, and it's uh, also the most fundamental and most important, let's say, most critical uh, hazard. So thermal runaway um, is uh, an exothermic chain reaction um, that starts when, when the heat generated within a battery 
or better result exceeds the amount of heat that is dissipated to its surroundings. So if the cause of excessive heat duration is not remedied, the condition will worsen and worsen and worsen. Um, so the internal battery temperature will continue to rise, causing battery current to rise, causing temperature to rise. That's why it's called a kind of a domino effect, which can at the end lead to catastrophic results, uh, such as fire, explosion, sudden system failure, costly damage to equipment, and possibly personal injury. Um, so the rise in temperature in a single battery cell will begin to affect other cells in close proximity, and, and this, let's say, pattern will continue, um, thus the term runaway, so yeah. in the expression term runaway. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you for that, because I think uh, anyhow, very shortly, Emily, we'll talk in a little bit more detail about about what we can then do about this if we ever find ourselves in that situation. But I think it's an important one, as you say, because it is relatively unique to this to this industry uh, and the and the the chemical uh, reactions that, and and risks that are uh, synonymous with it. Um, Manuel, if if I was someone in the industry looking to build one of these gigafactories, so I, I would I had the goal to go and uh, go ahead and do this. You just described some really significant risks that that not just risk uh, the quality of the product, which is then finally delivered, but actually, you know, the whole production process uh, and the safety of those people uh, involved in that. How do I go about this? If I was building one of these factories, how would I go about addressing these risks? Yeah, well, let's start first with the conventional, let's say, fire safety. Um, existing, there are existing a lot of generally very clear regulations to ensure safe and, and qualified fire protection. But for the lip cell production, there are currently no codes and standards available or protection concepts uh, in regards of the fire protection measures. Uh, for this reason, we we were collaborating or we collaborated uh, on a technical report together. Uh, it was us as Tufsud and, and you, um, Siemens, uh, with co-production of the University of Aachen. And this technical report should be um, seen as a general guideline for uh, fire protection strategies uh, in the field of lip cell production. So based on, let's deep dive a little bit into the, the topics or the content of the technical report, um, based on a generic description of the different production process steps, which I mentioned just before or highlighted the two um, steps during the cell finishing, we just described the hazards and allocated the hazards to each of the process steps. So we identified 16 process steps. Um, and then with the help of an appropriate risk assessment, the risks are allocated to the hazards described before or the hazard to the risks. These two words are linked um, to each other. So, um, and then on the basis of this risk evaluation, the, the best fitting fire protection measures mitigating this risk are defined and described to present uh, a thorough and generic solution with respect to the structural, um, technical and organizational fire protection. Understand. So, so for normal fire protection, we have a lot of regulations. We have a lot of expectations that are set by the industry on how to best protect. We're not quite to that point yet, 
for for this specific industry and this is why you described this this technical paper which uh which we'll look into in a little bit uh in some more detail what are the benefits of taking this approach uh, of taking a risk-based fire protection approach yeah so generally the codes and standards which are implemented for for fire protection measures they they cannot be applied entirely case or plant specifically uh, which means there is always a potential of over-fulfilling the fire protection measures in regards of the specific um, plant. And by using a, a risk-based fire protection strategy, um, the costs during planning and implementation of, of fire protection measures can be minimized considerably, um, as is, this is the most efficient and effective tool in a so-called performance-based environment. Wonderful. Th thank you very much for that. And Emily, thanks for sticking with us because we um, Emily just took us on a great deep dive into, into the process, the specific steps within the, the manufacturing process that, that provide the, the, the most hazards and then you know how those hazards are then um, you know, connected together with the situation to create a, a bit of a risk assessment and the process that you've gone together also together, uh, so your team and, and his team and the University of Aachen uh, to create this report. Let, let's talk a little bit about um, our reaction. Once, uh, you know, if we found ourselves in the situation of uh, of a thermal runaway, like we talked mm -hmm. about before, um, you know, what can we do about it? What can we do from an extinguishing perspective to really manage a thermal runaway situation in a lithium-ion battery cell or in a manufacturing situation like this? So, first of all, I, I hope that we have so good detectors installed that we would never end up in a thermal runaway to start with. But if we would end up having a, a problem, we, on our side, we are proposing to use an inert gas solution because there is no extinguishing agent really that can stop a thermal runaway in these kind of applications. So you have to imagine like huge racks and there are quite big mm -hmm. openings and it's, it's really about suppressing uh, the fire as much as possible and as Manuel talked about, to remove the faulty cell or the burning cell away from that and put it into a safe zone with water and so on. But what we propose on our side is a nitrogen system. We know in the market right now that a, that a lot of OEMs in this field are proposing a Norvec system uh, with the, like a Norvec 1230 system, which is a chemical. We do not do that because it will leave a lot of residues on the battery cells themselves. So we propose to suppress uh, as much as possible with a with um, a nitrogen system that will create an inertization and uh, stopping the thermal runaway to spread at least. Yeah, I understand. And, and I'd like to and thank you for that first point. Like, of course, detection is that first step, and yeah. and as best we can do this, this is this is our first line of defense. Let's call it. Um, yes. And, and then reaching, if we do reach the point where we do have a thermal runaway, keeping it as much uh, contained as possible until we have the chance to physically distance uh, you know, the, the, the cells where this is occurring and get them away from the thousands of other cells that are in mm -hmm. the racks in the in the towers, uh, like Manuel described for us before. Uh, is there things like a, a uniform approach, a standard approach, um, a standard methodology for fire safety being, being created, uh, at least here in Europe as an example, to, to address this kind of gap that we have in the current regulations and expectations? No, not really. Um, the European, there's an industry asso association called Euro Alarm. They're working guidelines uh, for this protection. 
but there is no formal legislation uh, from the European Commission yet. Okay. You which, can look at the me, EU directive, the machinery directive, if you consider this as machines, of course, and it needs to be safely mm -hmm. operated. But that would, for example, propose a water extinguishing system. And not so. For, so for the machines, yes, but not for the safe operation and the process which we are aiming at. Understand. Which which brings me back again to the report, and and one of the main reasons we're having this conversation is, you know, that we have an industry that's expanding so quickly. We have uh, an application which is is in huge demand, uh, but is a hundred percent going from something we didn't hear about or, or wasn't really part of what we were doing here in Europe, at least on a scale uh, 10 years ago, and, and now one of the biggest things which is happening in the industry, that we need to ensure that as an industry, we have the awareness and we have some understandings and we share that best practice so that we can build the most uh, future-proof and safe and, uh, and capable factories moving forward. Um, and this is one of the main reasons, or, or one of the many reasons, I'm sure, that uh, Tivsud, Siemens, and the University of Aachen worked on this technical paper and the white paper that goes along with the technical report, sorry. Mm -hmm. um, where can we find these, uh, Emily? If we were looking, you know, a listener here wants to know more, and there's a huge amount of detail uh, and technical information, like Manuel mentioned before, in the technical report and some, some information also in that white paper. How, how would I go and find this? Where would I search and what would I search for to find these this technical report in the white paper? So um, I think Manuel needs to answer for Tipsud, but from Siemens' side, I think the easiest way is to go to siemens.com slash battery. And they will get to uh, uh, a page gathering information about everything that Siemens do when it comes to battery production. And there just type, contact me, and write, I want the report. That's the absolute easiest way. Yeah, the same for Tipsud. Uh, we also created a landing page uh, where you can find the report and the um, white paper. And also, uh, you can listen to a virtual conference that uh, took place in June. Um, so, where also Siemens was involved. Uh, it was a speaker um, available from Siemens uh, during this virtual conference. But all these documents are concentrated uh, on, on our landing page um, at YouSuit too. Perfect. Amazing. Thank you so much. And, and thank you both for, for lending us your time and your expertise. Um, as I mentioned, the, the technical report and the white paper are both extremely detailed and such an important step forward in supporting the industry in general in, in addressing this significant risk in a, in, you know, in a piece of the industry, in a part of the industry, which is just growing at such an exceptional rate that, uh, you know, we have a lot of decisions, we have a lot of colleagues. Uh, and and collaborators across the industry that we need to 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 get on board with this whole conversation and make sure that we do create a safe space. So thank you so so much for that, and thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Thank you. Thank you. It was a really great pleasure for me to participate in this in this podcast episode. Same here. And and a great pleasure to have you both here. Exactly as as Emily and Manuel mentioned. Uh, if you head to Tivzud or to Siemens backslash uh, Siemens.com slash battery, uh, find these technical reports, find these white papers, feel free to reach out. And, and there's also the opportunities there to, to get in contact, I'm sure, with some of the experts and continue the conversation. Um, so until then, please uh, feel free to go and do that. Uh, get hold of that report. Otherwise, keep an eye out for our new episodes. And uh, before you know it, we'll see you again soon with the next topic. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.